Let's pray. Our Holy Father in heaven, we call Thee, O Lord our God and our Father, because Thou art. You have created us, and therefore You are our God, and You have saved us and adopted us, and You are our Father. Be with us tonight. We ask You to bless us and bless each of these men and these young men to lay hold of the tools and the mercy that you have had upon our generation for us to know the Word of God more easily, more quickly, and to leverage our time and efforts in it more than any generation before us. Heavenly Father, let it be said of the rest of the world that they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, but let it be said of us that we apply ourselves to learning and have come to a knowledge of the truth. We thank Thee for all that You have shown us. We pray that You will show us more and bless us tonight to learn all that we can on this subject. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight for another lesson in studying the Bible and understanding it and interpreting the Scriptures so that we know the sense that God's placed there in revealing truth to us. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask your mercy and blessing upon us tonight to lay hold of your kindness to us in providing study tools that can help us and our children leverage our abilities in your word that we might be ready scribes like Ezra and that we might have the inspiration of the Almighty like Elihu and that we might count your scriptures and the wisdom contained in them, our heritage, as did David. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins, forgive us our neglect of the scriptures, and bless us by your grace and your spirit to not only learn tonight, but to be convicted and to be provoked, that we might go from this place with greater zeal to read, to study, to meditate upon, and to hold fast the precious things of your word. We thank thee for it, and we thank thee for all that we're going to use and look at tonight, knowing that it is a gift from thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We want to look at some Bible study tools tonight. You're not altogether unfamiliar with this subject at all, but we're going to take you a little bit further, and I'm going to send you home with some tools that I hope you can use and that you can teach to your wives and children even if you're young in here and you don't have children old enough yet, so that in the days to come, the years to come, until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, you and they will have the ability to use God's Word very effectively and very efficiently. And so that's our goal tonight. Let's get a vision for what we want to accomplish. Ezra 7.6 tells us this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given him. We want to focus in this verse on the fact that he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He was prepared in God's scriptures. He knew God's word, and he was able to apply them. We want to be like Ezra in the sense of those words right there. We read in Job 32.8 about Elihu, that there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. The inspiration of the Almighty. Elihu got his inspiration from the Almighty directly. 
we get our inspiration from the Almighty indirectly through His Scriptures and through teachers and books that help us with His Scriptures. But we want to be like Elihu, four of the wisest men on earth, if not the four wisest. We're sitting there talking for about 28 chapters, 30 chapters, and then Elihu was the only one that knew what was happening, and he told them to be quiet and that he would share with them his opinion, and his opinion came by the inspiration of God, and it was superior. And we want to have that superior opinion in knowing God's will, knowing God's ways, and being able to answer our families and others' questions about the will of God. David said in Psalm 119 and 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. One of many statements that David made about the word of God, and here it is, Psalm 119 is dedicated to that subject. We want that light. But there's only one way you can get that light, and that is to read the word of God and to dig into it a little bit past reading. The eunuch, if he'd have gone on to Ethiopia and had a Bible, could have read Isaiah 53 until he went nearsighted, but it wouldn't have given him the understanding that Philip was able to give him in a few minutes. We want to be able to find tools to help us and our children toward that end. We want the light and the understanding from the Word of God. The Bereans are described this way in Acts chapter 17. These were more noble. Noble. You want some nobility in your life? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and here's why. In that, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Though they were hearing the Apostle Paul, who could do any miracle at any time, they still, after receiving his word with a ready mind, went and searched the Scriptures daily. That is nobility in God's sight. This is the Holy Spirit describing their nobility through Luke. We want that nobility, and we want to be that faithful in the Word of God. Peter would say, as we consider a few verses to get a vision and to get convicted by God's Word about His Word, after describing being on the Mount of Transfiguration and having the Lord Jesus Christ there with him and Moses and Elijah and God's voice from heaven, he, wrote, he writes this in 2 Peter 1, 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. We do well if we take heed to the word of God. If we don't read it, meditate upon it, consider it, hold it fast, remember it, and then put it into practice, we're not taking heed to it. So this more sure word of prophecy that's better than anything any charismatic tele-evangelist has ever seen or heard, because this is better than what Peter saw and heard, if we don't pay attention to it, then we lose out and we waste the blessing of God's word in our lives. It is a light that shines in a dark place. We live in a dark world, a dark society, and a dark generation, but God's Word is light, just as David said back there in Psalm 119. The Bible's a big book, but it's not too big, and it's organized. It's broken down into two testaments, so that we can know the Old Testament that was given primarily to Israel, though there's much there for us, 
and the New Testament that's given to us Gentiles, primarily by our Apostle Paul. Two Testaments, 66 books, 1,189 chapters. How many in the New Testament? 260. 31,101 verses. There's the number of words in a King James Bible, and those words occur that many times. That's what, that is how God chose to reveal truth. He could have revealed truth orally, oral tradition. We sit with our grandfathers, and especially in the days of Noah and Shem, you could sit with them for quite a while, like 500 years. And maybe in 500 years you'd pick something up from Grandpa. But God didn't choose to reveal truth that way. He chose to reveal it through this many words and the occurrences of those words. And we want to learn how to get a hold of those words in the most efficient way possible because we live in the age of the most labor-saving devices of any generation that's ever lived, including the study of God's Word. It's a shame that most are leaving the truth in a time when they should be coming to the truth. We first of all want to study words. The Bible was made up of a lot of words that we just looked at, and we want to study those words. Listen to what the Bible says. As Paul described the revelation God had given him and the other apostles in 1 Corinthians 2, which things, these are things that cannot be known by sight or hearing or even by the human heart's imagination. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We want words, and we want to compare those words to see the Spirit's use of words in the Bible. We've learned this in previous sessions of our Bible hermeneutics classes. Jesus said, when tempted by the devil, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So when we look at studying the Bible and that huge number of words, we want to focus on words because the the Lord tells us words are important and the Holy Spirit chose words very intelligently and by inspiration through the writers for our benefit. The emphasis is on the words and every word. This is what the Bible tells us and these are just two of many passages that could be raised As you well know, we have verses in the Bible that tell us single letters, which change one word to another word, are important. We study words so that we can find all occurrences in the Bible so that we can assimilate how the Spirit uses a particular word. We want the Spirit's usage, just as 1 Corinthians 2.13 told us. If we study words, you can find a verse that you're thinking of but you don't know where to find it if you know a word in it, if we study words. If we study words, you can find related verses that have the same word. And then you can gather from the Bible about this word. It could be vows. You want to look up and learn everything the Bible has to say about vows. So if we study words, you pull in every passage that has the word vow in it. You can learn that by using that word, everything the Spirit said. We want to study words. We want to study verses. Back to the eunuch, bouncing along in his chariot in the desert on the way back to Ethiopia, the Bible says that he was reading in the place of the Scripture that had these words. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. I mean, those words in a vacuum 
are very difficult to comprehend and understand. You know them because you've had a Philip or two or five in your life that have taught you the sense of those words from Isaiah 53. Right there, that place of the scripture is Isaiah 53. Jesus said in Matthew 24, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. That's because he's referring back to the book of Daniel and a couple of places where an abomination is going to make something desolate. It's the abomination of desolation. And you can learn it by going and finding the verse that has it. So we want to emphasize verses, the place of the scriptures, going to a specific place in the word of God and understanding that place. Otherwise, we're just reading words. We're decoding the English language and we're not gathering the sense, as I've emphasized so many times before. We want that that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus tells us to go back and find the verses where Daniel described the abomination of desolation, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Why do we study verses? You want to know the true sense of a Bible verse. Your wife, children, or a friend may ask you about a verse. You hear a verse abused, and you want to correct it. That's why you want to study verses. You may have an opportunity to speak before others, and you want to know the full sense of a verse so that you can explain it to others. And there's no higher privilege that you'll ever have than to have an opportunity to speak the Word of God and to open up a passage of Scripture and explain it. Wasn't it worth celebrating in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading? Nehemiah said, don't be sad this day. Eat, eat, the, eat the fat and drink the sweet and celebrate and give portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. This is the day of the Lord. Let's celebrate when we understand Scripture. And when you get to help someone understand it, and every father, and I'm speaking to a room full of men, every father has that privilege to a wife and to children to teach them the Word of God. Your children are given to you with an empty slate, and they think that you're the closest thing to God, and only you can destroy that. If you will keep that image before them and teach them the Word of God, they will believe that you have most or all of the answers well into their development. And you do compared to them. That's what every father knows. And it's a, it's a privilege. But don't squander that privilege because soon enough the world's going to be shoving funnels into both ears, both eyes, into their heart, and the devil's going to be greasing all orifices to get his lies into them. We want to study concepts. A concept is a topic or a subject or an idea. It may be a little bit abstract, like justification, that's in the Bible that may have different words expressing it. Because we want to study concepts because we want to grab what was the concept God intended by a particular word or a group of words or a verse or a passage. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. There was something beyond the words that they needed to give the people to understand the reading, and it was the sense of the words. That's what we want. So we want to be looking for the sense, the concept, a topic, or a subject 
that God's revealed in the Bible that may go under different words or a combination of words. In the New Testament, Paul would tell Timothy in a pastoral epistle, Study, Timothy, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, putting this sense on this word here, but when that word is used over here, put a different sense on it, rightly dividing the word of truth. The emphasis being on the sense and on rightly dividing the word. So we study words, we study verses, and we study concepts. Why do we study concepts? The sound of words is inferior. We want the sense. We want to understand the intent of Scripture. We want to be able to interpret it and understand it. The Bible's not a book of sound bites. Concepts and or doctrines may use many different words. Haven't you enjoyed thinking about how the Lord revealed the doctrine of salvation through 12 to 15 different words? Some are economic, some are familial, some are relational, some are legal, to describe His salvation. It's really one salvation by Jesus Christ when we're looking at the legal aspect of salvation, but He calls it justification, He can call it adoption, He can call it propitiation, And that's the breadth of God's Word that we want to lay hold of, simplify it, and understand these are just different terms for us to see the full beauty of the diamond of God's salvation. There are six study tools. You know these. But do our young men know them well? Do our young men know them instinctively? A person can tie a shoe, taking 120 seconds to do it, by carefully poking one lace through a circle they have formed tediously with their other hand and and tie shoes. Or you can tie them in a couple of seconds because it's become instinctive and habit, habitual. I want our young men in here to know these tools. There are six. Two of them are word-based. Two are verse-based. Two are concept-based. We want to look at each one of them very briefly. We've looked at them extensively before. And there's so many good exercises that you can lead your family through with these tools. Word-based. Concordance and a Bible dictionary. Verse-based. The treasury of Scripture knowledge and a Bible commentary. Concept-based. Nave's topical Bible. He's basically giving it away in the title. And a systematic theology that is arranged and organized by subject or topic or concept rather than by word or verse. I thank the Lord for this right here. Breaking down all the tools out there, instead of being intimidated by a religious library, there's only six kind of tools we want. And the ones emphasized at Christian bookstores today are not these six. They're the prayer of Jabez. For you to go home and for 40 days in a row quote the prayer of Jabez and maybe magical things will happen in your life. And they just sell foam like that all day long. These are tools. These are reference tools. And we want to learn how to use them well. Young men, do you know each one of these? A concordance. I hold up my Strong's concordance that I've had for about 40 years. James Strong's did did us a great service by putting together every occurrence of every word that's in the Bible in alphabetical order. So we can find a word whenever we want to, to find a passage 
or to look up all the words or all the occurrences of a word in the Bible. When we define a concordance, it has each occurrence of each word in the Bible. It's organized alphabetically so we know how to get someplace fast. It is the best tool to find a verse from a word and to find all the occurrences of a word. It also has some Greek and Hebrew helps just for you to be able to stop a liar who's trying to lie to you in a language that they don't know either. A concordance is word-based. That's its value and that's its limitation. If you're looking for all the verses in the Bible about a topic, a concordance is not going to get you there without a whole lot of circuitous work by looking up all the verses with a particular word and then finding other words in those verses and then looking them up. It's very laborious. So there's other tools, and that's why I say a concordance is limited. But thank the Lord for a concordance. The believers that went before us, the vast majority of them didn't have a concordance. They were subject to their pastors far more than anyone today. You can check the Word of God and be noble like the Bereans more than anyone. The treasury of Scripture knowledge. It's a verse-based tool. Right down right here. Verse-based tool. The treasury of Scripture knowledge. It has over 500,000 cross-references. So this is a verse tool. I remember when I was handed my first treasury, and I'm so about 40 years ago, I was in my late teens, and it's a pretty thick, big book, and you open it up, and oh, what is this? All it has is 500,000 references with very small abbreviations, so you have to look at it very closely, and it's very small print. Every version I've ever seen is very small print, but you know what? In the beginning, when I had it in a book form, it was my favorite tool right here, my favorite tool. Because I could look up a verse because it's in Bible order. And I could find that verse. And it would have the verse broken into phrases. And for each phrase, it would have one, five, ten, or thirty cross-references in the Bible that I could then go look up. And they would help me understand that particular phrase in that particular verse. But that was laborious. Look at I have to open this. I have to find my place the verse that I want to study, I have to find the phrase I'm going to study in that verse. Then it gives me, let's say, ten cross-references. I have to either write them down or lay a 20-pound weight on this thick book. Then I have to get my Bible, and I have to look up each of them. Ten minutes later, 20 minutes later, I've studied the ten cross-references and found out that none of them are any good in that particular place for that particular phrase. Or it was an infant... It was a baptismal regenerationist that wrote them. Difficult. But it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Someone went to a lot of work, Tory and others, to put this together. I'm very thankful for it, and I hope you are. The verses were taken from conservative commentaries and Bibles before 1900. It's the best tool for finding explanatory verses that may not contain the key words of your subject verse. If you wanted to look up polygamy through the treasury of Scripture knowledge, the word polygamy doesn't occur in the Bible, so you can't use a concordance. But if you know of any place where the word wives appears and someone has more than one wife, then you can look it up in the treasury and there's going to be cross-references that deal with the subject of polygamy, though never using the word. 
Then there's Nave's Topical Bible, which deals with subjects, concepts, doctrines, topics, instead of words or verses. This topical handbook organizes Bible verses and passages by well-known topics, which are in alphabetical order. There's only 31,000 verses in the Bible, but he's got 100,000 references in 20,000 topics, meaning this chaplain worked pretty hard for 40 years to gather this from his Bible reading so that his men would have a tool to be able to find help in the Bible for a particular need when they needed that help. Instead of just looking at the Bible in a hotel room placed there by the Gideons and not knowing whether to read the first book or the back last book, the middle book, what do I read? I, I need comfort. And so you open Nave's topical Bible and find the word comfort, and there are verses on comfort. It's a topic-based tool. We've gone and looked at the concordance, the treasury of Scripture knowledge, and Nave's topical Bible. We've covered three of them. One word-based, one verse-based, and one concept-based. I know that many of you know this. Do you know it instinctively to be able to grab the right tool at the right time to find the answer as fast as possible, to utilize your time and the tools that God's given us? Are you teaching it to your wives and your children? Do your children know the difference between the tools? This is elementary reference material, but it's the basics done well that is better than any measure of sophistication. These basic tools, understood and used well, will whip anyone. You don't need seminary. You'll blow right by seminaries if you know how to read your Bible and use basic study tools. They don't necessarily appreciate classes like this because it takes the power out of Dr. So-and-so's hands and puts it into yours. And that's right where I want it. Because to be noble, you need to be like the Bereans and check. If they checked Paul, it's been a few weeks since I've done a miracle. I ought to be checked by the Word of God. And I want you to be able to be the patriarchs in your families. You can go find answers. My brethren, you may believe it's in the best interest of your family to let your wife keep the checkbook. That's between you and her and the Lord. You know I have an opinion, but it's a matter of liberty. But if you go ahead and let your wife do that because she is detail conscious and she's as tight as the bark on a tree and whatever other virtues she has, I do want to ask you to be the man of the house in knowing the online Bible. Some of you, and these tools, some of you have wives that are very computer savvy. And they may have more time to sit there and fiddle around with it a little bit to learn it. But I would recommend, and again, it's a liberty, but I would recommend that you be the head of your house by knowing how to get answers and being able to show her and being able to show your children. And I'm going to give you an ace tonight to take home in your pocket that I hope you'll keep in your pocket. You'll let her use and you'll let them use, but you're going to be the patriarch. Let's go to the other three tools. The Bible Dictionary. It's organized alphabetically like a dictionary should be, so that A comes before B and you can find B. It contains most every word in the Bible with a definition, illustration, that means pictures, description, historical reference, explanation, or cross-references. 
It's a useful tool. By its nature, it may include the author's bias because he's writing definitions for words and writing definitions for concepts like justification or baptism. It is word-based. Useful dictionaries include Davis, Smith, Easton, and there's others. It's a word-based tool. You're reading through the Bible, and you come upon a word. What in the world is this? A script. What's a script? You know, it's a little shepherd's bag. It's what David put his five stones into. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ said was not needed by his pastors. How, what's the quickest way to find out what a script is? Well, you can look it up in Strong's Concordance, go read every occurrence of it in the Bible, and grow old and have two birthdays before you figure it out. You can look up the treasury of scripture knowledge and the verse that you had, and after you put your 20 pound weight on the TSK, and then look up the cross references, you're going to be worn out and it won't have told you directly what a script is. It'll just have verses using it. You, you grab a dictionary and run to S, and then SC, and then SCR, and you know exactly what a script is, and you can do it in a hurry. And what man's going to lie to you about what a script is? You think he's going to tell you it's a crypt? Where dead bodies belong? It's a useful tool. Bible commentary. They're organized scripturally. I've left the Bible Dictionary, but here's a little one. Smith's Bible Dictionary. I, I enjoy having this in my smaller library. My smaller library has porcelain objects in it. In my smaller library, this is just pleasant reading. To flip through a Bible Dictionary and read about all the people and the places and the things that are given here with short definitions. Bible Dictionary, Smith's. Bible Dictionary, but we've moved to Bible Commentary. I brought Matthew Poole's, a nonconformist of 300 years ago who was part of the Church of England until the Catholics began making inroads into the Church of England. And he wrote a work against them, and there was assassination, assassination plans made against him, so he moved to the Netherlands and spent the rest of his life there. I like reading men like that, even if they do have a few problems. If I'm looking at a verse and I want to find out what does that verse mean, I can just go find that verse. This is John, the epistle, the gospel of John, and I can go to the chapter and I can find John 8.41 and he gives the King James version of the verse and then he gives a paragraph of his study efforts on what it means, cross-references, and so forth by phrase. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew Poole. Thank you. Now think for a minute with me. I hate heresy, and I don't care who believed it. But in that chariot, the scriptures were not enough. The eunuch could not have figured out what Isaiah 53 was talking about, but he could have if he'd have had one of these, couldn't he have? Written by any evangelical, Christ-believing minister, even if he is a baby sprinkler, would get Isaiah 53 right as to, is the prophet speaking about himself or another man? There is value in books. There has been a tendency on our part at times because we see way too much emphasis placed on man's writings 
But I'm not talking about men in most of these tools who are just writing some novel like the 40 Days of Purpose for your life. I'm talking about reference tools. And the Bible commentary is one. There's five that I would recommend. And recently, looking at past outlines done on Daniel chapter 8, as we considered Alexander the Great three weeks ago, I went to the bottom of one of those outlines and it said, these five did a great job on Daniel 8. And they happen to be these same five because these same five will usually do a good job. That Matthew Poole I mentioned, Matthew Henry, Albert Barnes, Adam Clark, and John Gill. Now, we have an Arminian, we have a Presbyterian, we have another Presbyterian, we have an Anglican gone rebel, and we have a Baptist. So, when you're reading some places by this man, he's a rabid Arminian. I mean, he just can't stand Calvinism, and he especially can't stand our brand of Calvinism. And so, I would never pick him up on a matter of salvation. But when it comes to the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the strongest of these five. Our Baptist brother held the Catholic position. I give you these five, and I don't give them to you lightly, and I give them to you after 30 years of looking at them. Systematic theology is a handbook. Organized according to the author's outline of theology. It's a handbook. He puts it in the order that he wants to put it in, and given how he's going to approach the being of God, Jesus Christ, salvation, anthropology, the study of man, eschatology, the study of the future, ecclesiology, the study of the church, and all those things. It depends on how he organizes it. Of course, it's going to have the author's opinion. That's why it's in row two of our six tools. And it's going to have references providing material under each heading. It's topic-based. Remember, we're working through a little diagram of three different kinds of tools, and there's two tools for each category. Useful ones are Gill, our Baptist brother from 200, 300 years ago. Dag, a Baptist. Boyce, a Baptist. Burkhoff, Reformed, and Dabney, Presbyterian. Dabney was Stonewall Jackson's chaplain during the Civil War. There are many more, but... Go ahead and get them because they're not going to add to these. You're going to have so much here of the of the type of reference material that we want. Remember, it's concept-based. John Gill's Body of Divinity. Next to the cause of God and truth, probably the best thing he wrote. And he wrote and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote. It's, it covers many feet to find it and to buy it in published form. They, they say, I've told you some of these things before, but the saying in London was, if you wanted to say that something was very sure, it's as sure as John Gill is in his study. He would start out there every morning with a pound of chocolate, and he would labor till the late hours of the night writing. One pound of chocolate a day. He was a corpulent man, and he, but he did live into his 70s, and the Bible says that is a long life full of days. What a way to go, if you like chocolate. It, maybe that would wind him up, because I'll tell you, you read what he wrote, and this is, this is one good volume. This is his, this next to a much smaller work called The Cause of God and Truth in Defense of High Calvinism and Calvinism Against Arminianism. This is good right here. And it's broken up into hundreds of topics where you can go, for instance, the intercession of Jesus Christ and that ministry of his 
that I worked on from Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He's got a great section on it. And he's got that on hundreds of others. That's a systematic theology. It's concept-based because when you open up the table of contents, it's going to be organized by God, His eternal nature, His providence, creation, immortality, invisibility, and all those different aspects of God. That's what a systematic theology is. Don't be intimidated by these words. These are six reference tools that God's had other men labor with candles and pounds of chocolate in order for you to have tools to learn things from God's Word very quickly. That We've covered them all now. We have six tools, six study tools. Two are word-based, two are verse-based, two are concept-based. Are your children learning these things? Do you young men know these things? If I were to call you up here in front of this collection of men and have you go through these six tools, can you find them quickly and tell us what they're for? Tell us how to use them? This little chart you could put on your refrigerator, put on your wall instead of a green beret scaling a cliff with a rope like I had or a picture of the newest Trans Am. You were in that room with me. This little... This little diagram here, I hope, is in your head. That's why I keep bringing it up, because I want you to remember these things. Six study tools. God blessed men. God blessed men with talents to construct them. These men worked with great diligence for us. The combined tools, we can accomplish so much easily. None of them had all these tools together in the way that we do. Combing the books really working through these books by opening covers and flipping pages and reading paragraphs, is laborious. It is time-consuming and takes a great deal of effort. God has chosen to bless us above all others. And that is what we're here for tonight. I want to introduce the new online Bible DVD, and I'm going to send you home with it tonight, and I'm going to show you how to use it. And I'm going to show you how to use it at the third grade level. And I hope that you can go home and show your wives and show your children. And I hope that before God, you will commit to 10 hours in the next two weeks of learning this program and exploring its few little toolbars and its few little buttons that are all self-explanatory that will help you use the six tools I just went over in the most efficient, synchronized, compatible way ever devised. I'm going to give you a religious library that I don't know how to put a price tag on it because some of the books that I'm going to give you in this DVD are priceless because they're held in libraries. You could never get your hands on them. I'm going to give you multiple copies of the Septuagint in English. That's the Old Testament written in Greek in about 200 or 250 B.C. You say, what would I need that for? I don't think you do. Just tell them I'm going to put it in your library. (laughs) This is the 2010 edition. I have been using the online Bible for around 20 years. So is Brother Newell. It was the first. It was the best. It's still the best. But David Pohl, a Canadian, has gone out, has gone beyond all reasonable service and outdone himself with the DVD I'm going to give you. 
It is just mind-boggling. He's put everything you can imagine that you would want in a Bible study tool that's instantaneous in even an old computer. He's written this thing for XP, and it'll work just as fine in Vista, and it'll work just as fine in 7. The online Bible, 2010 edition. All those six tools, multiple opportunities at each point of contact with the six tools, all in one DVD. Online Bible, 2010 edition. Just completed. Just shipped. These men, the Lord puts a conviction in their hearts and He has spent the last 20 years first, best, and still at it. And wait till you see what's in it. You're going to say, this is ridiculous. Do you know what's going to make it ridiculous? If you don't know how to find an answer in your Bible like that. And if you don't teach it to your children, and if you young men don't lay hold of this. Books are multiplying in the world. Go into a Christian bookstore or go to Amazon.com and type in Christian book. And you're going to get tens of thousands and 11,000 of them are worthless. These are reference books tied together and a few other books of all sorts that will surprise you by his selection because it's going to tell you he thinks like we do. I'll show you. Online Bible. How would you like to start with 30 English Bibles? What's that going to set you back if you go to a bookstore? 30 times 20? 600? Can you get them for 20 bucks? The ones that are out of print? No, they're going to be more like 100, unless you want to buy a used one. The ones that are out of print. How about 45 English commentaries? Instead of just Matthew Poole, you've got 45. How about 350 reference books? Books like Alexander Hislop's The Two Babylons. Does that tell you how he thinks? How about Philip Morrow's The Seventy Weeks of Daniel? How about books like that? How about John Gill's Body of Divinity? How about The Cause of God and Truth? How about Hassel's History of the Primitive Baptists? Now this guy sounds like he attends a church, maybe, like we do. Wait till you see the... I can't show you all the contents, but some of it is alarming in a good way. I mean, it just got me... I've communicated with him a little bit in the last two weeks, and I've told him how thankful and appreciative we are for what he's done. But now I want to show you his... He he is enough of a Calvinist that he believes in missions, in that he wants to help missionaries and preachers that are working in any language. So look at this. There's 50 more Bibles in this DVD in other languages. And there's commentaries in other books in other languages for those men to be able to use. And when you plug this DVD into your computer, the first thing it's going to ask you is, habla inglés? You know, do you speak English? And if you click yes, then everything's going to be in English for you. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? And he's written this in as simple of a way. You know, there's men that God has raised up that have talents, and his programmer has talents. When you see how fast this thing loads and how quickly it works and how it takes an entire library and puts it in your hands on a DVD, and he's designed it to do it with operating systems before XP. Because he knows in the mission field they may have some pretty antique antiquated pieces of equipment. This is the first and the best. 
He didn't settle for 500,000 cross-references using computer-aided searching. He he worked it up to 650,000 cross-references. It's the synchronized ultimate tool, and it's based on classic and conservative reference materials. You know, there's a few in there like Charles Finney, but you know what? I want Charles Finney in my library just the same way he would. I want uh, Schofield's notes in my library. Don't you? You you don't need them. I need them because I like putting together little pointers for people to show them that C.I. Schofield didn't understand or he did and he wanted to lie to his readers. So there's a mixture, but it's the same kind of mixture we would choose to have. The DVD. There's a manual found inside, and if I'm a little laborious, please don't let that bother you. Here's this little DVD box. If you open it up, out comes a little book, and this is my little book, and it's got my name on the front, so you can't take it home. Because I've been working through my little book. It's just a little book, and you don't really need to look at it after I show you what I'm going to show you tonight, unless you're going to use the 10 hours and learn it. If you were to put 10 hours into this tool, you would be lightning fast at getting anything needed out of the Bible. It's got a manual. Thank you, David, and thank you, whoever helped you. Select your language. Accept whatever he recommends about its installation. He's going to have you check a box that says, install this to my hard drive, because that's where you want it so that it can do the, show the speed that it's capable of. Unless you purchase some unlock codes, there's a few Bibles and Alexander Scorby that you can't have unless you call him and give him your credit card number because here's why. Think. He sells this thing at retail for $39.95. That's ridiculous when you're buying a $100,000 library. $39.95. He sold it to us for 20 bucks a pop. Now, when you sell them that cheap, you can't buy the rights to copyrighted Bibles. Remember, we have a world full of Bible publishers who copyright their material, and they want a royalty on every use of it. So, in order to provide a basic tool that has 25 Bible versions instead of 30, he leaves five with codes, or ten, no, that's in other languages, five, for you to go purchase those codes if you want them. Alexander Scorby? And the foundation that owns his material wants a royalty. So you gotta pay for it if you want it added to your online Bible. But don't do it before Sunday. Cause I got another gift for you. I'm feeling good in August. And there's another gift coming for you on Sunday that I hope, I hope it'll really be helpful to you and your family with the Bible. I'm gonna give an account for two things when we get to heaven. And I give an account every day. How faithful am I with the Bible? And how faithful am I in trying to communicate the Bible to you? You really have the same two things. How faithful are you with the Bible? And how faithful are you communicating it to those God's given you? You all have, many of you have congregations of your own. Do not check for a CD of supplemental material because every single thing he's got is on this DVD. Uncheck any language that you don't want or won't be using because you don't need all this Vietnamese commentaries coming up. I'm telling you, this guy has gone and gone and gone to put a tool together. 
Don't worry about the what is new. It's going to be pages and pages and pages. Don't interrupt the download. Just let it go to your hard drive. It's only going to take a couple minutes. And when Online Bible opens, exit the help menu that's going to pop up on the page. Just exit out of it, close the program, reboot your computer, and then reopen it. That's all put in the manual. You don't need to memorize this stuff. He's going to lead you through it. This is what it looks like when you open it. This is what it will look like when it opens up. Do not be intimidated. This is simple, and we're going to make it simpler, and when I'm done, you will not be intimidated. Will you give 10 hours to the Lord to have a library and tools all synchronized instantly to find answers to your questions? This is what it's going to look like. This one has six windows. I prefer three, and so do most users of the online Bible. It's his classic desktop. When he says desktop, he means what does your monitor look like and how many windows do you have open? It's not an arithmetic increase. It's a geometric increase in complexity when they're synchronized together. This is what it's going to look like. What do we have there on his page? We have the Bible passage. And this is where he recommends that you go and read. And right up here, it's called Passage. And right there is a little Bible. That's the Bible passage. And that's a little window. That little window has all the buttons that you're used to in a Windows application. Fill the screen with it. Shrink it. Put it down at the bottom of the page. Increase the font. Go to paragraph style. And anything you can imagine being able to do with text... You can do it right there in those little tiny tools that we're going to look at. But you don't need to know all those tools. I'm going to show you the ones you need to use so that you can snap and get answers. Here's the cross-references. You look up a verse in the Bible passage, he doesn't want you to have to go find your 20-pound weight. He doesn't want you to have to go find the treasury of Scripture knowledge. The verses are going to pop up there, and it's not going to be their references. It's going to be the verses. Thank you, David Pohl, P-O-H-L, Canadian, Niagara Falls. Here's the search Bible. When you look up a word, notice the search command in here. And for those of you in the back, I'm a little sorry. I know you can't see that. If you can see it, then you're going to thrill me. See, in the beginning is the expression that you've looked up in that search box. So it's called the search Bible. Down here is your commentary. When you look up a verse or a passage in Bible passage, guess what happens in the commentary window? What do you think happens? Is he going to make you go get up out of your chair, walk across your library, your $100,000 library, get on a stepladder, and go up and find Matthew Poole and bring him down? Or is it going to be there? Well, what if you get tired of reading in that passage and go to another passage? How long will it take you to get the commentary for that passage? As long as it takes you to click your mouse, this commentary is going to match your Bible passage. You say, well, I don't really want to study the Bible. I want to sing along with the online Bible. Okay, you can sing along with the online Bible because it has a whole hymnal built into it with the music. I'll play you some shortly. I said, you won't be able to think of anything he doesn't have. You ought to see on his site where it says beta testing. Beta testing, and you think, oh, I wonder what's coming next year. It says, we are not testing anything at this time. And I'm telling you, when you go into this, 
you'll say, there isn't anything to test. I don't know what you could do. That's why we're having this presentation this night. I know that you're familiar with some of the material we went over earlier. I have to repeat that. I want you to know it instinctively, and I want the young men in this church to know it. And here's your library, all nicely organized for you. No stepladder needed, and no books get dusty, and no one can steal them, because it's on your hard drive, and it's on your DVD, and it's only $20. And to you, it's free. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Lord. Your own library of Bibles and books. Here's your library right here. Organized by topic, and you can open up any of those books anytime you want to. Your library. Your religious reference library. In many languages. With many tools, many Bibles, many books, many commentaries. Let's look at the library. What do we have in the library? Well, first of all, you better notice at the top that it's libraries by language because if you click on that little arrow right there, it's going to give you the languages you have to choose from to see what part of your library are you going to look in. These, these are little arrows, and you just click on one of those to open up that category. You can see books by author. You can see books by title. Apologetics is a subject of defending the faith. Archaeology. You want to study on the, the ruin of Tyre? He's got a section on archaeology. You want to see some confessions of faith? They're under creeds and statements of faith. There's music. We're going to get to it. I want to play my dad's favorite hymn from the online Bible. There's libraries by language, as I told you. Let's try English. There's Afrikaans. You know, there's a bunch of Calvinists that lived down there in South Africa that came with the Dutch down to that place. They still live there. There's a lot of Calvinistic churches. We have a lot of subscribers, and we have people that write me that love what we stand for in the Church of Greenville here in the Piedmont of the Carolinas. There's some other languages. The reason the languages are listed that way here is there are whole libraries for those languages, not just one or two versions. Let's look more closely. The English library. We have clicked on English and have chosen just the English. And let's look at our library of Bibles and books. Now, the Bible you already have out there on your big desktop, and we've just pulled up the library. I'm going to show you how to pull the library and and push the library aside when you want to read your Bible. We have opened apologetics. There it is right there. You can see the little arrow is highlighted, and we've opened it. A vindication of some passages. That's John Owen writing a defense. Listen, only certain, and I say this with all respect, only certain nutcases like you and me want writings by John Owen. The man was thorough, and he was deep, and he was the chaplain for Oliver Cromwell. Now that's back a little ways. He wrote the greatest defense of the limited atonement or the particular redemption of Jesus Christ ever put together between two covers. He took and combed every single example that you can find in the Bible, objection, and handled it, and logical reasoning that Jesus could only have died for the elect. It's called the death of death in the death of Christ. And bless God for there being a secret Calvinist, a closet Calvinist, 
in the Baptist church I grew up in that gave me that book when I was a lost, confused, worthless 18-year-old. William Payton. If you're in heaven and you can hear me, I am thankful that you gave me that book and I sat downstairs in my little cubby hole of a bedroom that I had chosen to divorce myself from the family to some extent and started reading John Owen and outlined the whole thing and I still have it outlined by hand. Unbelievable. Now all that talk was to tell you the whoever put this thing together, I like them. I like them. That's why I can give it to you with, with great joy. A vindication of some passages. Antidote to Arminianism. That's an old book written against the poison of Arminianism. You know, you want some Koran topical material? This isn't, this isn't supporting the Koran. This is giving you a few tools. If you need to go in and tear the Koran apart, you can. Biblical doctrine of election by a Baptist. Let's look at the historical section. Joseph Ivamy, A History of the English Baptists. Trail of Blood. Dad, remember that? You used to give away that little booklet, Trail of Blood, Stephen Eastland. I know you like it. It's in there. It's called Baptist Church History. If you look it up, there it is. Eusebius and his version of church history. He wrote in just the 3rd century A.D. And so he wrote some things about the Christians and what happened to Christianity after the destruction of Jerusalem outside the Bible. We don't use him authoritatively, but it's, he's there. Would you ever, would you ever get into it? Probably not, but it's in your library. Don't you feel rich? Ah, that doesn't make you very rich, but it's there. How about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? Did that impact the Bible? Is that sort of like when a giant stone that filled the earth fell on the four kingdoms and broke it to pieces? This man wrote all about it. And his writing about it is comparable to Josephus writing about the ruin and end of the Jewish nation. This man will tell you about the seven mountains of Revelation chapter 17 and other things. He is a pagan. He is not a believer. He's just going to be explaining the way things were in Rome. And you're going to say, hello? Did he read the Bible? No, neither did Josephus. Josephus was a Pharisee and a general in the Jewish army. Anyway, hey, what in the world is this right here? There we go. History of the Church of God. What in the world is that? It's a volume about that thick by two primitive Baptist elders of the 19th century who wrote the history of the Church of God, taking it all the way from the apostles to 1885 A.D. It's in every primitive Baptist home that's serious about being a primitive Baptist. And I look at, I look at a book like that, in this guy's historical catalog, and I say, hmm, because there's a whole lot of other histories that, that aren't here. I couldn't find the history of the Methodists. I couldn't find the history of the Presbyterians or the Lutherans. I, I'm, it is with pleasure I give you this tonight. Will you commit 10 hours? There's 168 hours in a week. If you work 50, there's still 118 left. If you sleep 58 of those, there's still 60 left. Per week. What are you doing? Doing clinicals and loving my wife and cutting down trees and cleaning my property or whatever else we have things to do. But can you find 10 hours and learn this? Oh, there's Wiley's work on the, the history of the papacy. A historical work on the popes of Rome. There's the works of Josephus. 
the one you're used to reading. All in your library. All we did was look at the historical section in English. Do you want the two Babylons in Spanish? (laughs) How about music? It's got a psalter. I didn't write in a note asking for a psalter in the online Bible. I thought the online Bible was studying the Bible. What in the world it's got a psalter in there for? Might it be in there because of Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 It says we're supposed to sing psalms? It's got a hymnal. And I'm going to play you some music. You're going to be able to study the Bible to your favorite hymn with the words scrolling up. He went nuts. David Pohl, the creator of this, I've never met him. I'd hug him and he would need air. I'm so thankful, I hope you would too, at what he's put together for us. In your library, you can thin it down so that it's just got the books that you're, you'd ever be interested in. You can go right through it and click your favorites and leave the others unclicked. It's going to give them all with a little box next to them and say, I don't like that one, I'm going to put it in the back stacks. That's what they're called in a library that aren't out for public use. They're called the stacks, the back stacks. And you can, you're just going to click the ones you want to keep and the others are just going to go to the back stacks. They're still there. Anytime you want to bring them out, they're still there, but they won't clutter your windows when you open them up. The library has the collection of all these hundreds of Bibles and books and aids, but they're the least of online Bibles value. We want the six Bible study tools, and we want them computerized to find the sense of Scripture quickly and easily. Let's look at the best parts, the best parts of online Bible. Here we are, back to the way it's going to pop up on your screen. When you stick the DVD in, it leads you through a few questions. You check the right boxes. You don't check the wrong boxes. It's going to open up. It's going to have six windows. It's too many for me. So X out of the library. Just, you know, that's simple enough. If you X out that of that right there, it'll blow that out, and you'll have five windows, and it'll fill the screen. It knows to do that. You're going to look up at the top toolbar or the row of tools, and find a tool called window. Because you're going to tell it, I'm intimidated by five windows. And listen, you might not be. He's going to give you 10 or 15 options of how you can have your desktop laid out. Five just gets me a little confused, because I'd like a little more space given to each one. So we're going to click on window. There's our, there's our options under window. And I recommend tile classic the one that most people have used when they've used online Bible for the last 20 years. So all you have to do is click on it. It's going to rearrange everything on that previous page. It went from 5 to 4. This is the Tile Classic, but it's got this box here, which is for books and hymnals and other reference materials that I don't think I need. I'm going to show you why. Because if I want to read a book, then I'll go to the library and read it, my library, and read it. But if I want to use the six Bible study tools, then I want to limit it down to these three windows right here. So X out of this window, X out of that window, and just pull this over to the left because it's a creation that you're making. And as soon as you make it, you can call it my desktop. 
and it'll save it as your desktop. And if you were to close it down right now and open it up again one minute later, it'll open it up with your three windows. And if you were to open it up a year from now, it'll open up with you. You wouldn't have to save anything or tell it anything or check a thing. It is going to reopen it just the way you closed it. I need that. There we are. We're down to three windows on a desktop. Boy, the print's small. There it is. Oh, it's so beautiful. Bible passage. See the little Bible? See the number sign for cross-references? And here's the commentary in the bottom. Now, you can just put your mouse on this and pull it down if you only want one inch of a commentary or if you want to only give them a half an inch in your life. Then you can pull it down there and you can have a great big Bible passage and a great big cross-reference passage. You can do whatever you want to. But there it is. Now, I think it's kind of small, so he's got a big button here, a plus sign. You can just click on that thing and it will take you right up until you've got one word on the page. Or you can take it right down to where you need a magnifying glass with one little click. Now, if you've got a left eye that works better than your right eye, then he's got little pluses and minuses on each window. I'm telling you, when you use this, you're going to say, Thank you, Lord! Well, we just went and clicked on that big plus up there just a few times. And now can you read that in the back? Okay, that's much better. So there we have it enlarged so that we can read it. Remember, I'm going to go over things a few times. There's a little Bible. It's called your passage. This is where you read the Bible. See, it's Genesis 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. You don't like reading it in verse format? Then just click once on the little paragraph symbol right there. Remember, this is a screenshot. It's not live yet. I'm going to show it to you live. You can just touch that little paragraph item, and your, your Bible reading will be in paragraphs like it is in some of your Bibles. The numbers will still be there, but with inside the paragraph. Just, just one little click in one second, your whole Bible. Now, if you wanted a paragraph Bible and a verse Bible from the Bible bookstore, wouldn't you have to buy two Bibles? Well, then when it says 30 English Bibles, aren't we getting a few more than 30? Crazy. Crazy. I mean that with all due respect, if this is ever heard anywhere else. And here's your cross-references over here, and it says... Cross-references. Can anyone in the back tell me the spelling of that word that's inside the brackets? Capital X-R-E-F-S? Okay, it's very, very small. Because we want it to be very small. It's cross-references. We want it to be small because we don't want the toolbar to be big and to get in our way and to scare us. Scares me. You know, there's a... Right around the word X-R-E-F-S. Let's click on favorites so that we can thin this thing down to our, the, the volumes that we want in the library. So we click on favorites. Up comes a dialogue box that's going to let you select your favorites. Let's see if we can get a bigger version of it. Look at those tabs on top of the dialogue box. Versions. Parallel versions. When you want to do a parallel... When you want to look at a verse and say, I want to see it in ten versions, it's there. And you get to pick the versions, and we're going to pick them right now. The commentaries you like and the ones you don't like. Books, libraries, sets of books, dictionaries, Greek tools, Hebrew tools, and then show me everything I've picked to know how big my library is. We're in versions. Now, 
Can you see how wide this thing is? Can you see how big this thing is? Do you have a few versions to pick from? Now, I've made it worse than it is because I downloaded, and it downloaded very quickly, this computer, maybe three minutes, but I asked for every book in every language that he had on the whole DVD. That includes Alexander Scorby audio, and that includes a whole hymnal with the audio music. Look at all these Bible versions. Do you see the little tool here that I can pull across, pull across, pull across, and get just gobs and gobs and gobs of boxes to check if I want those Bible versions? That's in the top half. You have gone to favorites. A dialog box pops up. You first of all check the tab of where you want to check your favorites. There's two decisions being made. One, I want to mark all my favorites. Now this one has the Amplified Bible marked because that's a cross-reference I want just to show people the Amplified Bible can't be God's Word because of what it says here and what it says there. It's a useful tool to me, but it may not be to you. At the bottom you are picking the default version that will automatically be used everywhere in online Bible for you. Now, we don't want to pick the Amplified Bible as our default version. We just want to use it once in a while, maybe for comparison's sakes. There's two authorized versions. There's one, 1769. By the way, do you know that that's an important date? That's when Dr. Blaney did his final work on the King James Bible at updating spelling and other forms of language changes, and that's the Bible that's been sold in America since 1769. That's 240 years, 241 years, but that's why that 1769 is there. It is your 1611 Bible with spelling that you are used to looking at that different from the spelling used in 1611. Now there's two versions, and the one that's blue is the one that's been selected. And it's called the A-V-R-L-E, Red Letter Edition. Because when I'm reading the Bible, I now have a choice. You know, my Oxford doesn't give me a choice. But Online Bible gives me a choice when I'm reading my Bible. If I get to the words of Jesus, it pops up in red. If you like purple better, the toolbar will handle you in about two clicks. But there we are. Pick your A-V favorite. Pick five or ten Bibles if you want them. You don't need them. And we're under one tab, picking some Bible versions. You know these things, so I'm not going to belabor the point. We believe that the King James is God's Word in English, so it is our default Bible. Red Letter Edition is very nice when you're reading the New Testament. Other versions are for comparison purposes only. Free versions that he has in there include the American Standard Version. Try to find one. Try to find the American Standard Version, 1901. When the Church of England released the English Revised Version in 1881, they put a copyright on it that you Yankees can't touch it for 20 years. So in 1901, you know, we weren't going to waste a single year in putting out a new Bible. So when 1901 comes out, the American Standard Version, you'd be very, you'd be very hard-pressed to find even a used one. Young's Literal Translation, Translation, Revised Standard Version of 1947, the New King James Version, 1978, the English Standard Version, it's quite popular these days. The Message, there's Rick Warren's Bible, it's free! You get to take Rick Warren's Bible home with you tonight, written by Eugene Peterson. 
It's a novel about the Bible, but it's no Bible. And others. As I've explained, some versions demand a royalty. It's very, very simple. He's going to give you a code by email that you can just type into a box that it will create, and boom, it's live. I hope you understand. It's not him getting the money. He would put them all in there if he could. But they want royalties for their copyrighted word of God. Let's jump over to commentaries. Now, remember, if we're going to go read the Bible, the upper right-hand box is going to have our Bible in it. It's going to be a red-letter edition Bible. It's going to be the King James. But we want to go to commentaries. So we, we just touch this tab here. Remember, we have two decisions to make. What are our favorite commentaries? Let's pick a few, three to five. And what's the best default? What do we want to pop up at the bottom? I'm telling you what I choose. I want the treasury of Scripture knowledge popping up at the bottom because that's the most useful to me. I want God's Word about God's Word without any human words attached to it at my first pass. So I touch this one for my default, and I go up here, and this particular page, notice again, we've just got a little doodad here. What are the, what's that doodad called? Scroll bar, thank you. A scroll bar. You can see that it can go quite a ways this way and quite a ways that way. There's quite a few commentaries to pick from. So we've, we've, we've checked the revised Matthew Henry commentary. That's the current edition of Matthew Henry's commentary. More about that in a minute. Well, how about right now? The five best commentaries. I've mentioned Matthew Poole to you. I would go to him first. I've put these in order on my experience with them over the last 25 years. He is concise. He gets to the point and he is organized verse by verse and within a verse by phrase. So I can go right to the phrase that I want within a verse, see his one or two sentences of explanation and put it back down. Although I don't have to pick it up or put it back down using an online Bible. He's sober. He's balanced, and he's a nonconformist. And I just like that word when you look it up. It's someone that stood up against the Church of England and would not submit to their authority in religious matters, especially when they started playing games with Catholics. Albert Barnes is only a 100 years ago. He's a Presbyterian. He's careful. He's thorough. He likes to mention a lot of this person believes this about the verse, this person believes this variation on the verse. He's logical. He tries to deal with as many objections as possible. I would go to him second because I want to be careful, thorough, and logical. I'm not a Presbyterian. He did hold sonship just like us. I... Anyway, whatever that's worth to you. And his writing on Daniel, excellent. Matthew 24, parts of Revelation, excellent. John Gill, Baptist, very wordy. This is, I mean, you don't want to have very many obligations on your time. Wordy, he wants to quote what the Jewish rabbis believe about everything when they're the, they're the worst interpreters of Scripture, I believe, in the history of the entire world. I'd rather read a Mayan commentary than the rat Jewish rabbis. Didn't they crucify the Lord Jesus Christ? Didn't he spend three and a half years among them and say, ye do err? How many times in the Gospel of Matthew did he say that? Eight. 
He's a high Calvinist. That means he's a superlapsarian. If you don't know what that means, look it up later. That means he believes, believes in eternal justification. Some doctrines that we hold dear. He's an eternal sonship man with the best of them. He wrote a whole work on eternal sonship traced in controversies century by century from the apostles to his day. He loved eternal sonship. And he infected the Baptists for a couple of hundred years until some men stood up in the mid-1800s and said, no way, we believe incarnate sonship like that church in Greenville, South Carolina. I got that backwards. We believe eternal sonship like those Baptist brethren did in the mid-1800s. But he's Baptist. He's Calvinist. You know when you read a Baptist passage by this man, it's going to be Baptist. And he loved the doctrine of baptism. And he was fighting a few little enemies on the subject of baptism like the Church of England, the Presbyterians, and the Catholics. He gets right down there in the good stuff. Now, this is a Methodist, Adam Clark. Why do I have him? He cost me dearly to buy him. And you get him free. But he's bold. Boy, when he has an opinion, he is going to tell you and he's going to tell everyone else uh, what they can do with their opinions in a theological way. He's opinionated, and I like that. He's an extreme Methodist. He holds our position on sonship rabidly. Remember, who was the father of the Methodists? The The Wesleys. When John Wesley was on his deathbed, Adam Clark showed up to express to him his concern that he might not be saved. Now, Adam Clark was a preacher and a writer of the Methodists. He wasn't sure that John Wesley was saved because he believed in an eternally generated son. I'm telling... Yes, you're going to be able to read that kind of stuff. This man has an opinion. You're a popish Catholic if you believe that junk. His commentary on Luke 135 will get you out of your chair. And he's a Methodist. That's why I have him. What's his position on the interpretation of the book of Hebrews, which God let me find after I preached it to this church in 1988? that it is to be understood in a context of 70 A.D. and its most difficult passages, chapters 2, 6, 10, and 12, can be easily resolved by understanding its perspective. As you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10:25, he understood that day, the day of Jerusalem's destruction. Don't you think Paul would mention that in an epistle to the, what's the book named? Hebrews. Oh, well, we've got, you know, a man that figured that out. Adam Clark. Here's Matthew Henry. He's devotional. When you open up Matthew Henry, it's not verse by verse. It's chunk by chunk. And his chunks are presented in a devotional way. He is sober. He is spiritually minded. He is writing with a love of Christ and a love of the matter that is there rather than just explaining what it means. It's just a different approach to a commentary. And I want to tell you, this is the most popular commentary set among conservative commentary readers. Poole goes right after the verse and right after the phrase to tell you what it means. Henry is devotional in style, so it's different. Clark, you only want him on a few things. You don't really need him. John Gill, the Baptist, and Barnes, the Presbyterian. Let's get restarted here. We were picking commentaries, and we made a few comments on five commentaries that I would recommend. But let's remember something. The Lord has shown us some things that have not been believed by the majority of professing Christians. And so when you go into these books, you will run into a considerable amount 
of error. A concordance doesn't have any error in it. It is a reference tool that is dealing only with the data of your King James Bible. The Treasury of Scripture knowledge doesn't have direct error in it, although it will have cross-references that don't really fit. But there's no opinions of men stated there. Knave's topical Bible just has verses lined up by topic selection. Sometimes that can slant things a little bit about a verse. But still, it's just the data of a King James Bible. Remember that. On the first line, the first tool in each of the three categories is harmless. We can just basically say it's pretty harmless. But when you go down to the bottom line, the Bible dictionaries, the commentaries, and the systematic theologies, you get into men's denominational opinions and the positions that they have to hold, and so they become more problematic and more difficult and more potential to deceive you. And I I don't believe that most of you will have the time to spend much time in them, but I would encourage you, and I'm going to show you how I do it, stay up at the top with three windows and use the treasury as your main study tool. And we'll, we'll see that more. What else do we need to pick? Well, let's look at the tab dictionaries right here. On the favorites dialog box, we have the choice to pick dictionaries. We have picked versions. We have picked commentaries. And you can go through and narrow down your DVD or the data from your DVD that's on your hard drive to what you want in each of those categories. Because we're not going to look at this or the Greek or the Hebrew. But let's look at dictionaries. Again, you can see that there's a lot of dictionaries. Let's pick three or five dictionaries. You know, I've got three just on this one page selected. Remember that you need a default. There's two decisions to make on every one of these tabs. We want to pick what we have as our favorites, and we want to pick a default dictionary. Now, I recommend, and this may not be the best recommendation, this default is a whole string of dictionaries. You could pick an individual one. What he does with his dictionaries is just going to blow your mind again, and I'll show you in a moment. Picking some dictionaries. The concise Bible dictionary is short and sweet and right to the point. It's modern. But when you're defining what the word script means, who cares? Just tell me what a script is. It's a shepherd's bag. Easton is esteemed. He's well-known. He's been around for a while. Solid. It's a moderate amount of material for each entry. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, ISBE. If you're going to seminary or you're graduating from seminary, you've got to have ISBE. Multi-volumed encyclopedia just of Bible words. It's detailed. It's extensive. Naves. You know what that is. That's a topical Bible, but it's a dictionary. And System Dictionary is what I've picked, at least for the sake of this demonstration, as the default. So when we do something in online Bible asking for a dictionary, it's going to come up with a string of dictionaries. Now we've made our selections. We've picked our Bible versions. We've picked our commentaries. We've picked our dictionaries. So when we look at our little Bible page that says Passage, and this is where we read the Bible, and it's in contextual order of verses Romans 5, 12, 13, 14, 15 on this particular slide, we can look at the top, and see, there's the Bibles we picked. 
Amplified, American Standard, Authorized Version, the red letter, which is our default. Do you notice it's lighter? I mean, it's there's a difference in color on your monitor. I am sorry about what you can't see. Complete Jewish Bible, the majority text, English majority text. What, what would you have to pay to get the majority text? English Revised Version, 1881, English Standard Version, so forth. We picked our Bibles. I picked more than you need. This, these are my tabs. We come down here to the commentary part, remember? We read the Bible here. The commentary automatically scrolls for us. We default to the treasury of Scripture knowledge. So here are the references by phrase. And here are the verses, except on this slide. Because we've done a word search here of wine on this particular slide, because this is the search page. But there's your Bible version tabs over here, because when you say search, it wants to know what Bible or Bibles do you want me to search in. It'll search all the books. You want to type in eternal sonship and say, go to my library and pull out the combination eternal generation of the Son, and it will look through everything and give you the occurrences. Here's the tabs for the commentaries. I hope you can see them in alphabetical order. Barnes, Kelvin, Clark, Eclectic, Geneva, the notes from the Geneva Bible of the 1500s. Gill, Hodge, Jameson, Fawcett, Brown, Matthew, Henry, Poole, Trapp, a Puritan, and then there's the treasury of Scripture knowledge. I know I clutter up the pages with my writing sometimes, but I, I want your eyes where I'm explaining. I hope that that's understandable. Your default is the red letter edition of the authorized version in the Bible page. Your default is the treasury down here in the commentary area. It's called commentary. And your default is the authorized version without the red letters when you do a word search in the search section. Here's your toolbar. We'll only look at a few of them. They're very simple. Most of them you don't need. Click on the Bible when you want to go to a particular passage, and it will appear in this window because this has the little Bible that you clicked on here, and it says it's your passage. So you've got this thing open. You've narrowed it down to three windows on your desktop. I want to look up Romans 5.12. You click on the big Bible up there in the left-hand corner. Up comes this dialog box. What book do you want, what chapter, and what verse? Now, we don't have time to do anything like clicking on those things. So we just type in here the shortest designation possible in English, and you don't need the colon even though... It's there in this example. All you need is R-O. Now, why can't you use R? Revelation and Ruth. If there wasn't a Revelation and Ruth, you could use R, and it would know what book of the Bible you're dealing with. You don't need a colon. Just space, chapter, space, verse, boom. And there it is. Look what's happened. And this literally happened, and I took a screenshot for you. I'll show you live in a few minutes before we go home. This is the Bible passage, and there's the little Bible. Remember, you clicked on the Bible to go to a passage in the Bible. You want to read the Bible, look in the Bible, so you click the Bible. It's a picture of a Bible. It's not too hard. Even I can figure it out. You click on the Bible, up comes the Bible passage page, 
There's Romans 5, 12. There's 13. There's 14. What's the 13, the 14 over there at the right-hand side? Someone clicked the little paragraph button. If you click the paragraph button, all the verse numbers will be on the left, like you're used to reading in most of your King James Bibles. What's down here at the bottom? We have a default to the treasury of Scripture knowledge. There's the first phrase, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And it gives two references, and they're right up here, already typed out for you, so you don't need a 20-pound weight to put in the treasury of Scripture knowledge and to wear out your fingers, your eyes, and have two birthdays before you get to look up all the references for one verse in the treasury of Scripture knowledge. They're already there. When you get when you get comfortable with using this, you can study the Bible with blinding speed. And you're looking up all those cross-references and quickly going down through them. Oh, that is a great one. Oh, that is a great one. And do you know what? If you're writing a document, just get your cursor on that great one and right-click, and it will go into your document. Just right-click. There's a little clipboard here, and if you want to do things like click on the clipboard, you can. But if you have a word processor opened or an email opened and you just right-click on a verse that you have your cursor in, it's there. I don't. There's not going to be any hourglass. There's not going to be any hesitation. It's just, boom, there. The verse. The verse. So, notice... We looked up by clicking the Bible, and I'm repeating myself a little bit. There's a Bible. It's the passage. Up comes Romans 5 right here. Down here is the treasure of Scripture knowledge because we set it as our default. If we'd have sent Poole as our default, it'd be Matthew Poole's commentary on that verse, and it would happen in one nanosecond. And up here are the verses from the treasury typed out for you so that you don't have to deal with just the references. Do I sound a little bitter? It takes so much time compared to having it computerized like this. Okay, let's look up a word. So we look at a flashlight. Do you you use a flashlight to look for things? So we want to look for a word in the Bible. The results are going to appear in this window because this is a search window. This is our search window. The dialog box is going to look like that when you pop open the flashlight, when you click the flashlight, we, we're typing in the word wine for this particular search. You can make it a phrase if you want to. Do you see the phrase option right there? Search anywhere. Right now we have it defaulting to Bibles only. And what Bibles are default? The authorized version. You could go to multiple databases. You could go to books, parallel versions. You could open up a new window. You could do anything you want with this search. We've punched in the word wine. And we have word search marked. Just type in wine and hit enter. You can change the selection. What if you're dealing with a word that you really only want the New Testament usage of the word? Well, then you just narrow this down very easily to Matthew 1, 1 through Revelation 22, 21. Change your Bibles right here. If you want to change your Bibles and look it up in a different Bible, but we don't. We want wine. We click enter and there it is. You know, there's there's the occurrences of wine with it highlighted for you. Wine, 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 Genesis 9, 21, 24, and Genesis 14, 18. You have all of them with it highlighted instantaneously from the Bible you picked, from the range in the Bible that you picked. 
whether it's a word or a phrase, it's going to be instantaneous by the Lord blessing these men with the ability to program it in a very efficient way. Right up there, it's going to tell you that wine occurs in the Bible 212 times, and this is the Genesis 9.21 is number one of the 212. If you double-click on any verse, now when you went to a search, it built this window. If you double-click on any one of those verses, then it's going to put that verse over here in the Bible passage, connect to treasury. Now, now, if you, if you can get a hold of this, you can study the Bible so fast with this in front of your eyes. So fast. Double click here, up comes the context, so that then you can take your little, what's it called? Scroll bar, and go up and down and look at your context before and after, because remember, in this window, it's just got the verses that have the word wine. Pausing your cursor over wine or any other word, pulls up a dialog box. You don't even have to click. He's trying to save you carpal tunnel. You don't even have to click the mouse. Just slow that cursor down, and it's going to want to start popping dictionaries up in, in your line. You slow that cursor down over the word wine, and because we picked system dictionary as our default, well, here's the System Dictionary, the American Bible Tract Dictionary, the Concise Bible Dictionary, the Easton's Bible Dictionary, Fawcett's Bible Dictionary, Knave's Topical Bible, Smith's Bible Dictionary, and their themes, which is like Knave's Topical Bible. Let's Just pausing your cursor. Just, you're, you're, you're reading the Bible and you say, what does that mean? Just pause your cursor. Up pops a dialogue box like this. Now, this is why I said this may have been a poor choice. If you made a choice of an individual dictionary, the dictionary would be there. And you wouldn't have to go the second step of picking which dictionary do I want to look at. So I'm sorry for picking the system dictionary. If you'd have defaulted from that tab on your favorites, it would immediately be up just by holding your cursor over it. And it's going to be popping up all over the page because it's trying to give you dictionary definitions for every word so that you always know what you're reading. You can double-click on any one of these, and it will show you their entry for the word wine. There it is. If we had made Smith's Bible Dictionary our default. Now, just hold on. I am looking at a Bible online that I called up every occurrence of wine out of 31,101 verses that got me the 212 with wine in them and highlighted the word wine in each one of them instantaneously. As I slide my cursor over wine, it pulls up Smith's Bible Dictionary, which runs on down several pages beyond this, and gives it to me. And the references in it, the cross-references that Smith used to write his Bible definition for the word wine as it's used in the Bible are hot links. That means you click on them or hold your cursor over them and you have right here. I ran my cursor down to Acts 2.13, which is right there, and out pops this little dialog box with my... What version did I select as my default? Authorized version. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. How in the world? What in the world got a hold of him? 
Newell? The question, from, the question from the audience is, where's the tool to keep us from running too many rabbits because we get led astray? But being led astray in the Bible is a pretty good problem. Amen. And I'm telling you with the treasury, you'll be on a subject or a verse, and up will pop these other verses, and you'll look at one of them and say, that's a better verse than the one I picked to start with. And then you go to that one, and it pops up its set of treasury verses for it, and I'm telling you, if you stay there for an hour and you're good with your hands and you can read pretty fast, you'll basically study six of the Bible. Library. Go find your Bible dictionary. Open it up. Go try to remember your ABCs, find W, look up wine because it's got a lot of entries for W, look it up, read down through it, see a reference, say, what does that reference have to do with it? Lay it down, pick up your Bible, look up the reference, read the, it's all right there. You can click on the books to go to the library to look for a book. The book you select will appear in a new window that's going to pop up over here to the left at the bottom because, see, we didn't give it enough windows for a book. I just gave it a... I want the Bible. I want my commentary, which is... What? The treasure of Scripture knowledge is my default, and I want my cross-references printed out right there. That is my working device. If I start with a word search over here, all I do is have to double-click... And I've got it over here as well for context and the treasury synchronized into it. No matter where I start from, the little Bible or the flashlight, I end up Bible passage. Sorry about that. Bible passage, commentary at the bottom, and cross-references there on the left. Click on the books. Go to your library. A dialog box is going to pop up like that. There's all the languages to choose from. If you're wise... You're not going to select them when you download the DVD onto your hard drive because why clutter your library with books in all those languages? We've opened up the books. We went to a new tool. Books. Does that make sense? That What's in a library? Books. Where do you put books in a library? So you click on books and up comes your library. A dialog box comes up. You can pick a language if you've loaded everything. If you haven't, it's all going to be English. Because at the beginning you said, I use English. We went to theology. Clicked on the little arrow. Under theology, there's about ten categories. We picked divinity. And under divinity, we got the body of divinity. Because we wanted John Gill's body of divinity. I wish that all of you could take Two minutes, 120 seconds, and flip through the table of contents of John Gill's body of divinity and understand what we're talking about with one little click of your mouse. The amount of work and the amount of information there and the amount of valuable, good information that is there. There it is. It's going to pop up just like that. You can double-click on any section. He's got a table of contents right here for you. This is book one. Yes, there's about four books in that big book. And you can click on it, and it's going to open up into a window like that. I picked 
the intercession of Jesus Christ. You can tell the scroll bar, the length it has to go, that he wrote a few paragraphs on the intercession of Jesus Christ. Here's his work. Now remember, as you go through his work, he's going to have cross-references so that he can show you things from the Bible about the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. Well, they're, they're, they're all hot links because there's the little dialogue box. Everything is hot link that has a Bible reference in this thing. Click on the globe for maps. Does a globe have anything to do with geography? And do maps have to do with geography? When you look at the globe, don't be worried about that. Click on it. Up comes a dialogue box for maps. There it is enlarged a little bit. We want David's kingdom. So you click on David's kingdom, and there you have David's kingdom. Filling your screen in nice pretty colors. There's Jerusalem. Here's Beersheba. Heshbon. See where the Ammonites live, where the Moabites live. That's David at the, that's the kingdom of Israel at the time of David. Now I've made this point a few times, but let me just make it again. These pages are synchronized. So when you look up Romans 5.12, which is right here, it is synchronized to move the commentary, no matter what commentary you have there. If you have pool, it doesn't matter. If you have Barnes, it doesn't matter. Or if you have the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge or any of the other 45 commentaries that were available, it's going to change this commentary to that verse. And if it's the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, it's going to throw the typed out verses up here so that you don't have to look them up. Yes, it's explaining what I just told you. It's behind as fast as you can click on the Bible icon, remember up here to look up a passage and enter a new reference, all windows change. That is incredible. I, by one click, I am not just opening the Bible, I am also opening the treasury. I'm not just opening the treasury to read references, I am getting their verses. This is a search, this is a Bible search of Hebrews 9.1. The top... Reference is right here. Then verily the first covenant, 8-7. And there it is, 8-7 from the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. If you double-click on Hebrews 8-7, this is the next slide. It puts Hebrews 8-7 over here as the driver. These are the cross-references for Hebrews 8-7. And there's the first one, Hebrews 8-6. Now you get proficient at this, like riding a bicycle or tying your shoes. You can tear through the Bible when you want to look up something. The Lord has given us tools, and he expects us to be able to show some results given the tools that he's given us to find it. We have advantages that no one ever had before. A few tricks. Anytime you get confused or you wonder where you were, just hit escape. It's going to take you back to the previous desktop. No problems instantaneously. If something looks quirky or confused, and sometimes it will, there's a lot going on, as you can tell. Close the program. Click the X in the upper right-hand corner. Click it. It'll take one second to close. Click the icon again on your desktop. Open it back up. Takes one second to open back up, and everything's going to be pretty again. If it got confused, it got confused. It's sorry, but it will close and open in two seconds if you'll click twice. Those are little cheaters' tricks. 
that I've learned over the years. Are you confused in here? Call a friend from this meeting, and hopefully we can help each other. They have a nice frequently asked questions section on the Internet. You've been introduced to the basic tools. Six tools connected by a computer. Use the small and concise owner's manual from inside the DVD case to get you started. It's, it's so simple. Will you invest a few hours to learn this program to leverage your ability? That's the question right there. Will you invest a few hours to be knowledgeable about how to use the Bible? Let's go live. Happy birthday, Dad. You're kidding me. He has too much time on his hands up there in Canada. That is in your online Bible program. You say, well, what's the next song? Well, it's Ferris, Lord Jesus. Have thine own way, Lord. Anyway, that's the, how do you find it? Remember, that's how it looks when you open up. It's over there in your library. You just go down and click on music, and music opens up to the Scottish Psalter, the hymnal for the online Bible. Now, I've got all the foreign language stuff in here, and I'm sorry, but I just wanted to show you how much you're getting so that you'll feel like you're getting a deal for nothing. This is live. We can do anything we want. We want to get rid of the library for a moment, so we just hit the X and it disappears. We don't really want this book one right now. Uh, And we don't really need this one. So we have our Bible passage one. I can't draw circles anymore. Aren't you glad? Me messing up all the slides. I go. Bible passage there at the upper right. Commentary at the bottom. Themes are popping up right now. It's set as... When you take the DVD home and you have four computers at your house, I've already talked to David Pohl, absolutely no problem whatsoever. Download that thing on every computer. Just please don't duplicate the DVD and hand it to other people. He already understands that. Put it on all the computers in your house. Orville. Okay, how do we do that? What do I click on? The Bible. Let's use this, since I don't have a mouse. Song of Solomon 8, 2. Well, it got there kind of fast. Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. The verse is up here in our Bible passage. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me, I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. I would lead thee and bring thee. That's why you have... Now, look down at the bottom in the treasury of Scripture knowledge. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Bring. It's looking at that first clause, and it's got two references. 3-4 without a book means it's 3-4 of the book you're in. Song of Solomon 3-4 is going to have... And it's up here in the green box. Can you see it? Song of Solomon 3, 4. 
I hope you can see it. I know it's small. And it's got Galatians 4.26. The word who down here, which is the treasury of Scripture knowledge, is narrowing it from just the verse down to the clause of the phrase that has the word who. And there's a string of verses for it. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct thee. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of How long would it take on this eight-year-old computer? His left hand should be under my head. And his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor abuse my Yes. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There my mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth the bed. What does the Psalter look like? Is that songs or is that just words? It's the words just like ours. It doesn't play it or, or sing it. That Scorby, he, he's pretty tightly tied to the verse that you're in, and there's a little speaker. I can't circle anything, but right there's a little speaker on each of the three boxes. You can go to what's, or the top two boxes. There's a little speaker so that you can listen to Scorby if you wanted to purchase that. Now, don't do anything with Scorby unless you're really feeling your oats financially before Sunday. Okay? Just look at the big X up here. If I want to just click on that a few times, we can make each of these windows have a size that we can all read. This is System Dictionary Default. Can you see that? That it gives me five dictionaries. And there is faucets that I just clicked on. I know it's small because it's a dialog box. The owner of a multitude, the sun god, and a city where Solomon had a vineyard with a multitude of vines in Mount Ephraim, not far north of Samaria. And then it gives... Can you see it close enough that it compares... It says to compare Isaiah 28.1 and Song of Solomon 8.11. Do you see the dialogue box pop up? So that I don't have to go anywhere and look. And then it just disappears as, as your cursor gets away from it. You can copy it on as many computers as you want. That's not me making a decision for David Pohl. That's him. He has been giving this away. For 20 years, it, there is a free, basic, online Bible program that most of us have on our computers already that he's been giving away on the Internet for 20 years. But it's only got 20 Bibles instead of 30. It's only got 10 commentaries instead of 45. It doesn't have Scorby. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. It's not got all the new programming. And so he is selling this one for 39.95. And you can imagine the amount of work that's gone into this. I don't have a problem at all with that. And he's, he sold a bunch of copies to us for 20 bucks a piece. If, if a young man or a middle-aged man or an older man, but, you know, I do want to emphasize the young men for learning God's Word. If one of you wanted to learn this PowerPoint presentation, it will be perfected so that it shows up better on a tablet. You know, I would like someone to go to St. Louis and someone to go to Michigan and present this to a group of their men. So who's got the zeal? Don't raise your hand right now. Just think about it. Who wants to go home and put your 10 hours into it? I can go through the PowerPoint presentation with you again so that you feel comfortable with it. It's pretty self-explanatory once you see it here in front of you. And you show some others how to use it. 
We can, we can afford it. We want to help encourage those churches. We haven't done much with the church in Howell. This would be a fun gift to take them and have someone go up there and present it. We don't approve of everything on the online Bible. Obviously, there's heresy in there in many forms and varieties by the different authors. I I hope that you can realize that if the eunuch had kept his chunk of Isaiah that he had got in Jerusalem or wherever he purchased that or obtained it, if he had kept that and read it over and over, he wouldn't have understood what chapter 53 was talking about without teachers or tools like this that help us. You know, we can go to references and look at the cross-references and find wonderful things. For instance, let's let's look up 2 Peter 2, 1. 2 Peter 2, 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is a verse the Arminians use to prove that Jesus died for all men because there's some in this verse who are damnable and the Lord bought them. See, you're wrong. The Lord bought some people that are going to be damned. So you've got that verse up there. Here's the treasury down here. The treasury has some sentence material in it because it's describing chapter 2 of Second Peter before it gets to the cross-references. There's even, okay, there's the word bought. Now, I remember finding this in the, tea, in, the, in the printed book form of the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge when I was still in Michigan 30 years ago. This is so precious. Okay, what does the word bought mean in this verse? It can't mean that Jesus Christ bought them from sins and the claims of God's justice. It can't mean justification because then how could they be damned? Because the Bible says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So there we have the word bought, and I can't circle it, but it's down there in the middle of the bottom window in the treasury of Scripture knowledge. And if I click there, then they start appearing up here, and here they are. I go back to Deuteronomy 32.6, it's the first one, and Moses is making the same appeal to Israel. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? And if you read down through this, and if you double click on it to go get, or to get a, there's a lexicon. I have it in seven, I have it in XP, I have two different versions, I have different desktop versions, and I'm sorry for looking a little lost right now as to which window is going to pop up because it's not tiling the way I would set this thing up to tile as. But if you start reading from that Deuteronomy 32, it takes you through a number of references pointing out that the bought that Moses was referring to that Peter picked up and used in Second Peter chapter 2 is being bought out of Egypt. It wasn't eternal redemption of our souls. It was being bought because God gave Egypt for the ransom of his people Israel. We can go to Deuteronomy 32.6, and it's over here in a Bible passage. The word, Just the word people. You know, I'm holding my... If I get this pen, 
It's too powerful. If I get it six inches away, up pops Easton's dictionary of the word people. Do ye thus requite the Lord? And so you can read down through where Moses is appealing to the Israelites as to why they're living foolishly when God had done so much for them. And it wasn't so much in the way of eternal life. It was so much for them in delivering them out of the land of bondage. Any questions about the online Bible? When you come up here, I'm going to have a piece of paper that I'd like you to put your name down for your family so that I can keep track of the inventory that I have. Just scribble your name down that the Green family took one so that I'll know who has them and can keep track of them. Any questions about the six tools, about the online Bible, commentaries, maps, library, synchronization? I don't know anything more about David Pohl personally. I can tell that he's Baptist. I can tell that he's Calvinistic. I can tell that he's conservative. And that saves us from a great deal of fluff and superficial foam that we would have to wade through if we had other standard Bible search programs. You're welcome to unlock the locked stuff. It's going to tell you in your little manual what's locked and the price for each one. It's like five bucks for a couple Bibles each and fifteen bucks for a couple other Bibles. You know, these Bible publishing houses have copyrighted the material, God's Word, and they want their money. Father in heaven, blessed Lord, we thank thee for not leaving us destitute of the truth in the earth, but having revealed so many things to us and having given us your word. We read in Psalm 147 of my brother Stephen the last two verses that your words and your commandments and judgments were not given to any other nation, and they did not know them, but your people Israel. And you have given us your word, and you have given us understanding of much of it. We are bound to give thanks always to thee, Father in heaven, for having loved us and from the beginning chosen us to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Bless this effort tonight. And bless this effort on the part of programmers and planners to bring forth fruit in our lives, our church, and our families. Bless our children to learn how to use it, that they might know how to get answers and to show and prove all things and to hold fast that which is good, to be noble like the Bereans. Bless us with safe travels to our homes. Forgive us for anything foolish that we have said tonight. What we do not see clearly yet, open our eyes and ears, hearts and minds to it, and forgive us for any error. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and lead us in paths of wisdom and holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.